There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone, and I'm Wanda Wallace. So I have a question for you. Do you ever feel that you're an imposter? And by that, I mean that it's just a matter of time before somebody finds out that you are not unprepared or not as competent as they think you are, or that you're going to totally mess something up and everybody will be aware of it. So now, you know, do others try to reassure you, for example, that, but your doubts still linger. You still think, yeah, but you don't really understand how bad I am. And if you did, you wouldn't be wanting to work with me. Well, it turns out you are not alone. Now, I say that to almost everybody I work with, but I want to say for the record right now, almost everyone has that experience. But I don't want you to take my word for it. We're going to talk to an expert on the imposter syndrome. And with me today is Harold Hillman. Um, Harold has written a book that I am a major fan of and recommend to absolutely everybody, and it's called The Imposter Syndrome. So we're going to talk about that today. But let me tell you a little bit more about Harold. He is a managing director of Sigmoid Curve Consulting Group, which focuses on helping leaders and executive teams work through major transitions or changes with a collective sense of ownership and commitment to strong results, something that's easily said and extraordinarily difficult to do. Harold's worked around the world, coaching prominent executives and their teams in a variety of places. He's worked inside companies himself. Um, He's worked with the Air Force. He was at Emico, he was at Prudential Financial, and he was at Fonterra, just to name a few. Harold's first book, the one we're going to talk about, The Imposter Syndrome, but then he hasn't stopped from there. There are two others. One is called Fitting In and Standing Out. That was published in 2015. And the most recent book, The Six Elements of Effective Listening, is an e-book published in 2016. So, Harold, welcome to the show. Thank you, Juan. It's a delight to be here. I'm thrilled because I absolutely adore your book, and I think this is such an important issue. Everybody I talk to feels like an imposter, and they really fundamentally believe they're the only one. But let me start at the top. What? So you've had all this experience working with senior leaders and executives and being inside companies yourself. Why did you decide to write a book on feeling like an imposter? Well, I just wanted to normalize what some people consider to be a, um, when you're going through imposter syndrome, you worry that you're the only person that's, you know, that's ever experienced this. When in fact, roughly 75% of people who work around us uh, in the workplace um, each day have had a bout with imposter syndrome. It typically tracks with people with high drive, high achievement need, big aspirations to step into bigger roles. Um, and typically during stretch when when a person is on a learning curve. Um, so I wanted to normalize this. I've had that mask on. I use the uh, analogy of a mask, putting a mask of perfection on in my own life. And certainly as I was climbing the corporate 
ladder and moving into larger roles, sitting on leadership teams, sitting on the executive team. Um, yeah, I, I found myself on occasion reaching for the mask, which then, um, you know, what, what I, what I deduced after several experiences with imposter syndrome is that it breaks connection. So this idea of wanting to be perfect is actually works against you in that sense of connection. I've also been behind that mask, Wanda, personally. I, I considered myself a real imposter um, at one point in my career when I was an officer in the U.S. Air Force. I was a closeted gay officer. It was illegal to be gay in the military, so I wore that mask tightly on my face, trying to be someone who I thought other people needed me to be, not realizing that, you know, it was pushing me further and further away from connection in an unhealthy space. You can't sustain behind that mask um, for too long. So I wanted to, not only around imposter syndrome that most of us experience when we are being stretched into a, a new role or taking on something big, but I actually lived an inauthentic life for a good deal of my life and, um, and wanted to make the case in this book that authenticity is everything. It is, it is everything when it comes to your vitality, your resilience, and those things. That's a lot in one short bite, Harold. So I, I want to honor how difficult that must have been to be a closeted gay when it is illegal to do anything else. And at a time when the U.S. Air Force was not very kind about confronting this issue, I cannot imagine how difficult that must have been. Well, look, it was a choice that I that I made. It was associated with the pressure of growing up gay at a time when I didn't think it was safe, certainly in my world. I was born in 1955. I came of age in the late 60s or so. I didn't think it was safe to be gay in my neighborhood. And um, also just inferring that a lot of people around me needed me to be straight. Um, and so I didn't feel validated um, in terms of being who I really, you know, wanted to be, but instead giving people who I thought they needed me to be. And that's a sort of an inherent dilemma in life, you know, right. being yourself, but right. being who others need. Right. So I lived the life, the, the sort of the prototypical life of a closeted gay um, um, man, have married, I had children, I had sort of the ideal family, and I wanted to do a stint in the military just basically to get some management experience. And um, I had my PhD in clinical psychology, which enabled me to go in as an officer. So I thought I would go in for three years and then get out. I just didn't realize the toll that that would take. I did very well in the Air Force. I did very well as an officer, and I was actually invited to teach at the U.S. Air Force Academy. And while there, I was selected to serve on a commission in 1993 to determine if gay people could serve openly in the U.S. military. <laughs> and I went and served on that commission as a closeted gay guy, um, officer who, you know, that, again, that mask firmly attached to my face. And the end result of that commission was don't ask, don't tell. And I was not proud of the fact that I had contributed to a process that 
made it even less, you know, healthy for gay people in the military. That is, they would call off the ban on um, the, sort of the witch hunts on, um, on on trying to out gay people. Um, so don't ask, don't tell. Basically, said, okay, you can be gay in the military as long as you're not gay in the military. <laughs> and I didn't feel good about I didn't feel good about that at all. I didn't feel good about the fact that I had been selected for that commission based on my outstanding service in the military. I was a well-decorated officer, and yet, um, had I come out, I would have been discharged, um, you know, uh, with a dishonorable discharge because I was gay. So I went to the brink. I shut my whole authenticity off to be this perfect officer, and it was very unhealthy. And the healthiest thing that I ever did was to take that mask off and to just come into um, being being myself, loving myself, um, and allowing myself to connect with people um, for the first time in my life. Great. Wow. That's a po- that is a powerful experience, and I can understand why that fuels a ton of stuff that you now have to say to people who are going through comparable experiences, perhaps not quite so dramatic. So I'm going to leave your story with um, enormous respect, Harold, But come back to the general principle, because you tied this notion of the imposter, the feeling like it's a matter of time before people find out I'm not who they think I am or good enough. You tied that to two things. One is inauthenticity, not being who you really are. And two is perfection, or I should say inauthenticity in terms of being what other people need you to be, which I think is a important component. And two is perfectionism. Yes. I have to do it perfectly at all points. And do you That's see right. those two as tightly connected? They are tightly connected, and they, they both load on the, the relationship that we each of us has with vulnerability. Um, the dreaded V word, which, you know, um, I think prior to over the last decade or so, vulnerability has been viewed more as a virtue. But there was definitely a time, certainly in my professional career, certainly in the corporate world, where vulnerability was often viewed as a vice. And so this idea that you would present anything other than perfection was not an option for for some people, um, you know, particularly in businesses which um, often don't have a lot of tolerance for mistakes or, you know, people just sort of finding their way. So it gets reinforced, this, this notion that it has to be right, it has to be perfect. Um, vulnerability is an important, um, it's an important thing to get your head around um, because it never goes away. It's a part of being human. Um, I work with senior executives, sometimes in their 50s and 60s, who still are trying to outrace vulnerability. And, and all vulnerability is is the ability to turn around and actually see this person in front of you who is not perfect. Um, as a matter of fact, I use the term wonderfully imperfect, that it's only a matter of hours. For most of us, it's only a matter of hours before our next mistake Something's going to unravel in a way that we didn't anticipate. Um, something's going to pop up that pulls us off course. And do you have the agility? Do you have the, the flexibility? Do you allow yourself a little bit of room to, you know, be imperfect and to not worry that every, every I has to be dotted and every T has to be crossed? 
um, if you have a poor relationship with vulnerability, you're more inclined to dive deep around things, put your hands on things a lot, take the, it's unempowering. Uh, if you are a leader of a team and you're going through imposter syndrome because your fear of uh, making a mistake means that you're going to hover closer, you're more likely to micromanage people around you oftentimes will infer that you don't trust them or their capability because you're hovering so close um, over something. So vulnerability is the substrate, the foundation across those, those two, um, two, two elements there where people don't back themselves. Um, to just go for it. Um, don't worry about having to have it 100% nailed down. Just go for it. Yeah. I, Harold, I don't know what organizations you're working with at the moment. I know some of the historical ones, but I can tell you in my clients, the this need to be right and to be 100% accurate and to make no mistake has not gone away. Yeah. Let me tell you, it is still alive and well. It's more comfortable for people to use the word vulnerability, but I'm not convinced that it's any easier to be vulnerable. Um, or to admit vulnerability. And I'll also say if you have too much vulnerability, then you don't look like you can lead. You, you look like you lack a confidence. So kind of getting the balance between those two is a bit of a challenge in my experience. I want to go back to a piece of this one, two pieces in particular that you said there. One is this notion that um, the premise of the show, when you are stepping out of your comfort zone, when you're trying to lead in a world where you don't already have all the answers, then you have to be comfortable with vulnerability if you're going to survive that. Um, so is that the whole premise of getting out of the comfort zone is doing things that you don't know well and therefore have to trust somebody else to do or tolerate some mistakes along the way. So that's an important, really, really important piece. The second one I wanted to highlight is this notion that you said when you can't turn around and see the person that's in front of you and recognize that it's a matter of hours before there's the next mistake or something gone wrong, that you don't give yourself room to be agil- to have agility and flexibility. Today, everybody is talking about the secret to an agile workforce or an agile working environment or flexibility as a core skill. But you would argue the essence of that is goes back to this whole notion of authenticity, perfection, and vulnerability. Am I right? You are absolutely right. In 2018, the cycles of change in companies has in the world has increased threefold, certainly over the last decade or so. Um, and what that means is that there's just far more vulnerability, anxiety, angst, uncertainty um, in business. And so, you know, 20 years ago, where we were largely still focused on change cycles that sometimes were between seven and 10 years, you had the luxury of being able to nail things down and, you know, work in a relatively stable environment. This thing called resilience now is, is real. Um, it, it's, it's, it's real. It's essential. It's actually making its way into companies' leadership competency frameworks that it's a, it's a requisite to be able to, you know, to do well in business these days is a certain comfort with not having everything nailed down. You can't possibly do that. So the, um, the successful leaders in, in 2018 are those who are adaptable, who, um, you know, are able to flex, able to be fairly, um, yeah, fair, use the word flexibility, agile, uh, if you will, and not putting pressure on themselves to have everything, um, you know, just 
perfect around them because the, the, the change is happening so quickly, it's impossible to do that. And so you, you, you will find over the next decade or so, Wanda, that in terms of just sort of the, the, the price of admission into organizations is going to be your ability to, you know, deal with vulnerability better. I think that's interesting. In fact, when I talk to young people about careers and projecting their careers, and I often end this by saying, let me tell you what I think the five hottest skills are going to be in your lifetime, as in the next 10 to 20 years of your career. And I put that whole notion of flexibility, agility, resilience, vulnerability, front and center. Like I think it is, if you don't get that right, nothing else works, including your ability to influence and persuade. Yeah, no, I, okay. I, I definitely agree. I see it certainly with my client organizations now. So it just requires um, um, leaders to be less harsh on themselves, to be to get used to destabilizing as much as they stabilize. We used to when we wore our management hats, um, where management was was viewed as perhaps as even being more important than leadership. The, our our whole focus was on trying to stabilize the organization. Now, where leadership definitely plays a significant role, it's about disruption. You've got to get used to disrupting, um, sort of disturbing the peace, if you will. And if you're a person who likes to have things nailed down, you're going to struggle in a world now that requires you to just be much more flexible, much more nimble, and quick in terms of your relationship with change. You've got to have a comfortable relationship with vulnerability in 2018 in business. Okay. All right, Harold, there's a lot we've said in this segment. We're going to take a break. Let me see if I can't try to do something here to summarize with some very powerful um, experiences and insights. So let me start at the top of this, that 75% of the people who work around us feel that they are an imposter. And it's typically those people who have high drive, high achievement, and during some sort of a stretch assignment. And it comes because we have this mask of needing to be perfect Um, And that leads us to be inauthentic and uncomfortable with our own vulnerability. And those three things lead to too much micromanagement, not trusting people, hovering over, driving, diving deep into the details, and lacking resilience. And the resilience agility is the name of the game today. All right. So, Harold, how did I do on that one? You did wonderful on that one. That's a great synopsis. Plus some powerful stories about what it's like to be in a place where you cannot be your own, your authentic self and the toll that that can take on you as well. With me today is Harold Hillman. Harold is with Sigmoid Curve Consulting Group. He helps large organizations work through major change in a way that creates collective sense of ownership and a commitment to strong results. I think you can get a sense of what that might look like. The book we're talking about today is The Imposter Syndrome, but there are two others, Fitting In and Standing Out, as well as the six elements of effective listening. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I want to focus on, so what do you do about it? We know what the issues are, so now how, how do you go about tackling this problem called the imposter syndrome? We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. How is your business running? It should be running smoothly with nary a hiccup, like a finely tuned machine. But if you're like most businesses, yours may be running nowhere close to that. Listen for Operationally Speaking with your host, Sergio Samel. Our program will help you to run your entrepreneurial business easier, better, with less frustration. And by running it well, you're sure to be poised for faster growth. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Harold Hillman, and we have been talking about the imposter syndrome. As I said before, Harold is with Sigmoid Curve Consulting Group, and his real specialty is helping leaders and executive teams lead their organizations through major change with a collective sense of ownership and a commitment to results. Now, what you've heard about this thus far is this mask that all of us wear that comes in some form of the need to be perfect, to not make mistakes, to do the right thing, to have a stabilized group, to make sure everybody's on the right track. And I'm into the details. Exactly what we expect of expert leaders, by the way, is prevents people from connecting. And that's where the lack of authenticity and the lack of connection really begin to undermine the leader's ability to be resilient, to have agility and flexibility and to create an environment where there's agility and flexibility, the hallmark for today's competencies, both of us would say. So Harold, we've talked about what the imposter syndrome looks like. We've listened to your story of what it was like to be in the Air Force and feel like an imposter. So what do you help? What do you do? How do you get an executive on the other side of this whole journey? What does the process look like? Largely um, being able to um, go inward and really take a look at whether or not your, um, I, I call them your mental models about who you are, who you want to be, who you need to be. 
um, and to um, to really examine whether or not you're being as compassionate with yourself as you might do with others. Sometimes when we are in a leadership role and we have a person sitting across us who's going through something like this, we can be real objective and tell them not to be so hard on themselves, to be more compassionate with themselves, to give themselves a little bit more latitude to, um, you know, to connect while on a learning curve. However, when we are the one going through it. Sometimes we lose that objectivity. It feels, again, like you are experiencing this alone and that it is something that is quite daunting. So that's one of the reasons why, again, writing the book, I wanted to normalize it to make it a subject of conversation in organizations to have people appreciate that it's pretty typical when you are traversing a learning curve to sort of reach for that mask, put more pressure on yourself, um, and the, the a big part of it is just really to pay attention to your own thinking, and um, and so a big part of it is, um, just, you know, are, are you being are you being um, true to who you need to be? Do you have a mental model that um, making a mistake is going to render you, um, you know, null and void, or is it something that actually enables people to connect with you a bit more? When you need people, the, I, I often talk about the, um, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and I believe that it is a human need to be needed. Uh, but when we put pressure on ourselves to be perfect, the signal that we send to other people is that we don't need you. So it sort of cuts you off. Um, and so it, it, is it okay to need other people? Is it okay to ask for advice? Um, can you tap the expertise of people who've been on this learning curve before? Can you keep yourself open is really the, it's a big part of self-talk. I use the, um, the, uh, the analogy of the inner coach and the inner critic. And these are two voices that play constantly in our head across the course of the uh, day. When you're going through imposter syndrome, you're more than likely hearing the voice of the inner critic much louder in your inner ear than the coach. And that when I'm working with people who are experiencing imposter syndrome, I often just have them, you know, turn the volume down on the inner critic, uh, turn the volume up on the inner coach, back yourself, ask yourself what's the worst thing that can happen. Um, you know, it, it is is breaking connection with people worth it in the long run? Or would you be better suited to allow your team to help you? be successful, to tap the expertise of your peers. People, again, wanting to be needed, um, a wonderful way to do that is to just let people help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the ways I believe that you survive when you're not the expert leader anymore and you can't know all the details is not possible any longer. The only way you survive is by letting other people do some of the work. Um, so letting people help, letting them be the experts, letting them have the questions and the answers. Okay, so you talked about this notion of going inward and looking at your mental models. And I, I loved your phrase. You said who you are, who you want to be, who you need to be, and to be as compassionate on yourself as you were with others. Now, that's an easy phrase, but it's a very difficult journey to just sit here and say, oh, let me think about what my mental models are about who I need. Do you have a, a framework or some key questions you get people to ask or a process you think people should use to understand their own mental models to pull them up? 
Um, it, there's there's a there's a wonderful um, uh, framework that I was introduced to a, a few years back. It's it's it, the the concept is called the second circle, and it was introduced in a book by Patsy Rodenberg back in 2009. Um, and originally, she wrote this book for actors going out on stage to require them to um, be in second circle together because she made the point that second circle is where connection is born. If you look at three circles um, side by side, um, one would be first circle, and that's when you are really inward and you are focused inward because you don't feel safe or comfortable bringing your full self forward. So people will sometimes experience your energy as smaller than it should be. Your voice becomes smaller, even your posture. And the idea being when you're in first circle, you struggle with being imperfect, so you try to make yourself as small as possible to be less of a target. And on the other side of second circle is third circle. And in third circle, you actually swell up. You become like a blowfish. Um, you become bigger. You to ward off what you would consider to be threat or the fear of imperfection. You actually become more rigid, locked down, and defensive. When you're in first circle and when you're in third circle, you can't connect with others. You're either giving nothing or taking nothing. And second circle is a beautiful um, uh, synthesis, sort of the best, the first, and third, but where connection is actually born. There is a give and take there. There is a, uh, there's a uh, degree of risk involved in bringing your thoughts and you know, your opinions and your perspective forward, even if it's not fully baked yet, but just backing yourself to do that but also making room for other people to bring theirs as well. So there's a healthy give and take in second circle. That's resonating with a number of teams and a number of, of my clients to tr truly understand that as human beings, we're going to vacillate between first, second, and third circle. But when you're experiencing imposter syndrome, you're more likely to be in first or third, less likely to be in second. So I use that concept introduced by Patsy Rodenberg to help people understand that um, second circle is where they actually want to maintain um, that connection. Take the pressure off of yourself to be right. Get into second circle. Um, it's 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 where intimacy is established, where two people don't need to be right with each other. Two people don't need to be perfect with each other. They're exploring, they're building, they're breathing together in um, in second circle. I find that that has resonated um, significantly as a, a, a real framework. Um, you might look at it as fight, fight or flight. In mm -hmm. in fight, you're in third circle, and with flight, you're in first circle. So the idea is get more comfortable being in second circle. Now, do you have tools for helping people understand how to get to second circle? I mean, have you developed a little practice around this that you can share with us? Well, it, it's it's really just understanding that it's it's a uh, our natural response when we do feel anxious, when we do feel vulnerable, is either to make ourselves smaller. And so to pay attention to, that's when the inner critic 
um, the, the voice on the inner critic is loud in our ear, and that is, don't ask that question, you know, don't make that comment, don't raise your hand, stay as quiet as possible, that type of thing. You can, it, I, it really is about becoming more dialed into the self-talk that's going on. This is why I made the case before that a very quick way to go inward and, 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 and catch yourself in this mindset is to just pay attention to what you're saying to yourself sort of in the moment when you start to feel vulnerable. And if you are inclined to make yourself smaller, um, back yourself more, put your hand up, um, uh, ask yourself what's the worst that can happen. I often say to people, when you take a chance and come out of first circle and go into second circle, you ask a question that changes the course of a conversation. And then people come up to you afterwards and thank you for putting that perspective out there. It's a real good example of how, um, you know, if, if, if you back yourself and you bring it with conviction, people typically will appreciate it. It, it, it does make a difference. It does change the conversation. Equally, when you're in third circle and you're asking yourself, why am I locked down? Why am I defensive? Why do I have to be right? Why do I have to be the smartest person at the table? Why am I pressuring myself to the point where people can't influence me and I seem to be dug in? Again, back off of that um, position. Watch your, pay attention to your mental models. That's where self-awareness is, is born. Self-awareness is still the cornerstone around leadership effectiveness. And if you aren't aware of how your thinking is impacting on your behavior, how you feel and how other people experience you. If you can't track that back to your own thinking um, that gets you into either first or third circle, then you, you're going to struggle. So it, the essence of it really is you've got to spend some time in your own head to examine whether or not the, um, the um, uh, mental models that have gotten you so far are, are, are going to be helpful in a world where you can't be perfect. You have to be flexible. You have to be nimble. Yeah, that's really interesting. I like your, the, I agree with you. I like this first, second, third circle. To just repeat for people, first circle is in the flight mode where I try to shrink myself in every capacity, both my energy, my voice, my posture, my perspective, and the inner critic is really, really loud. And so you just kind of cave in. It's a flight mode. I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to get out of trouble. Third circle That's is where right. I try to become more important. I'm going to swell. I'm going to expand. I'm going to be bigger. I'm going to be louder. I'm going to be more boisterous. But I'm also going to be more rigid, um, more determined, more defensive, um, as in I know more than everybody else. I'm the smartest. So therefore, do what I tell you to do. Neither of them allow other people to connect to you because what you're saying is I don't need other people. And the ideal place to be is the second circle where you're maintaining connection and you're exploring, you're building. I love your phrase, breathing. That's such a good one. And also to emphasize, none of us are perfectly in the second circle all the time, unless we create one more thing to drive ourselves batty about. It's a matter of recognizing where you are at a given moment in time and making a choice to stay or to move. Fair? That is it. That is the that is the essence of the tool, and I find and I find that that resonates with a lot of my um, my clients in the sense of just before walking into a meeting where you feel particularly vulnerable, like you you know that that there's a reasonable degree of 
of um, uncertainty as you're walking into the room to try to keep yourself connected. Um, and again, that's just being more mindful, more aware, being present. In second circle, you're present. Um, if you're in first circle with the mask on, you aren't present. You aren't giving anything. And if you're in third circle with the mask on, you aren't connected. You aren't taking anything. Um, and so this idea of being present, when we say being present or being mindful, being there, that's a big part of, of, of in terms of an antidote to imposter syndrome where you allow yourself to be there. Um, and, and, and again, I use that word, hopefully not overusing it, but connection is important. You can feel it, particularly if other people perceive that you are confident enough not to have to have everything perfect or not mm-hmm. to have always have the, you know, the, the right answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly that's the experience that I see. And what I find fascinating, so Harold, I spend all this time looking at people who are experts who can and do often know everything there is to know in the area that they're leading, and they're expected to be the guardians of the truth in some ways. And we hire them and promote them accordingly to that one. But in this expert leadership role, when you are the expert for the company on something, you often are expected to be in the third circle. I find that interesting. That's right. Yeah, some cultures do reinforce it. There's nothing worse than having a table full of people in third circle. Um, <laughs> everybody's blowing hot air at each other. You know, there is no one is listening to learn. Um, you're listening to refute. You'll often, you know, just again paying attention to the inner critic, the inner um, coach, and the idea that sometimes in third circle you're listening to refute. You'll know you're in second circle when you're listening to learn. You aren't threatened by the fact that somebody might have a more robust idea across the table. You might be the team leader, but you've hired some really you know, great people to work on your team and to allow them to influence your thinking and your perspective is not a sign of weakness. So, you know, to come out of third circle means that you have to let go of this need to be right, that you may even have to change your mental model around what a leader is. A leader is it's not someone who gives orders and people on the other side of the table have to follow those directives. Um, your mental model around leadership might shift to one where your role is to unleash their thinking. And you can't do that in third circle. If you're the boss, um, uh, particularly with imposter syndrome in third circle, your team is likely to be in first um, yeah. where their voices are turned off. I love that. That's a great analogy. I remember saying to somebody, you said, but wait a minute, Wanda, my job is to make sure X, Y, and Z happens. And I just said, your job isn't to make sure, your job is to enable it. That's right. Two very different models. Yeah. So it's the same thing that you're saying here. If you're in third circle, everybody else on your team is probably in first circle. Probably a good clue is if no one's That's talking right. to you during meetings that you probably are being too much of a third circle leader. Okay, interesting parallel. All right, um, Harold, we've come to a breaking point again. So we're going to take a break. When I come back, I want to dig a little bit deeper into a couple of examples, and particularly into Harold's own examples of moving into a place that was completely out of his comfort zone and how he coped with it. So with me today is Harold Hillman. Again, he's the Managing Director of Sigmoid 
Curve Consulting Group. The book we've been talking about is The Imposter Syndrome, but there's also a second book, Fitting In and Standing Out, and a third book, The Six Elements of Effective Listening. Just got a clue why that matters so much. We'll be right back. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Klass. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Business Channel, and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Harold Hillman, and Harold is the author of The Imposter Syndrome. Now, we've been talking about the fact that 75% of the population experiences the imposter syndrome, particularly those who have a high drive to achieve and are aspirational and are taking a stretch role. And that often what happens in the imposter syndrome is that we lose our ability to be vulnerable or we shut down our ability to be vulnerable, feeling that we need to be perfect um, or some other variation on that theme. And that allows us to, what happens then is we don't connect with people and that kills agility and resilience and flexibility. So we're just using this model of the first circle, the second circle, and the third circle, where the response to the imposter syndrome is either withdraw and become tiny and very, very small, or three, expand and become dictatorial and authoritarian and the one who has to have all the answers. Where the ideal connection space is in the second circle where I stay connected, where there's an openness to learning, there's a presence. 
And to get to this lovely second circle, it's a matter of tuning in to your own mental models of how you think about who you are, what your role is, what you're trying to achieve, and so forth. And often just simple words in how you change, how you describe your responsibility can make all the difference in the world. Now, that was a very rich discussion in two minutes. I hope, I Harold, I didn't do too badly a job summarizing it. What I want to do at this point is to talk about your experiences, because you've also taken some big leaps out of the comfort zone for yourself, particularly when you moved to Fonterra. So tell us about what happened and how did you manage that transition? It was a daunting bout with imposter syndrome, which is um, absolutely hilarious. It's another reason why I decided to write the um, the book. I was recruited to New Zealand to work with Fonterra. Fonterra is the largest business in New Zealand. It's a dairy cooperative. Um, uh, it, is, it has a major, major impact on New Zealand's economic viability. And I was invited to come to New Zealand to be a part of of uh, Fonterra's executive team, the first executive team. And I, I love the fact that, you know, they recognized me as having this experience that would help this new co-op be successful, so I came over to New Zealand. I had never worked um, for a food or agribusiness um, before. I had never been on a farm. Um, I didn't know anything about dairy. And, um, and as, as, as when I came to New Zealand, and started, uh, you know, uh, moving towards that very first executive team meeting. I remember, you know, my inner critic going, you're going to make a fool of yourself. You know, you don't know anything about dairy. You don't know anything about New Zealand. How could you have done this? What were you thinking? Um, wearing those thoughts right into the, um, to the executive team table and where I was sitting with dairy giants, uh, people, iconic um, business leaders in New Zealand who were all also recruited onto Fonterra's executive team because of their expertise in in uh, dairy. I was putting in rational um, expectations on myself that I needed to be an expert in dairy, that I needed to be an expert in on New Zealand, not recognizing the fact, of course, that the, uh, that that the reason I was hired was because I didn't know anything about dairy. That was considered to be a plus. That I was coming from a different country with a different perspective, and it wasn't until I dropped down at the table and realized I was a bit either I was vacillating between first circle where, you know, don't say anything because you don't want to make a fool of yourself to third circle where it was like when I did take a position, um, maybe I was a little bit too rigid or locked down, not willing to breathe at the table. We all had an interesting conversation two weeks into it, which I, I thought was just a really healthy. Everybody sitting around that table, none of us had ever, you know, this was new to all of us. And even though we all had different backgrounds and expertise, none of us had led a nation's biggest company. This was a grand um, sort of commercial experiment in, in New Zealand. And we all talked about how we were, we were daunted, how none of us had ever actually done this. And we decided to take the pressure off of ourselves. We we had a conversation two weeks into it and, and, and said, look, um, we're finding our way together. That means then that we need each other at this table. Let's take the armor off. Um, let's get out of a defensive mode and let's just find our way. And it actually enhanced connection from that moment on. So I, I, I experienced it myself, but then realized that others around the table were feeling the same way. 
So what was the catalyst that got that team two weeks into it to actually have that kind of an authentic discussion at the table? Look, we, we realized, I have, you know, uh, we all realized that um, our, our big important titles, our big salaries, our, you know, our status and things like that were not enabling us to sort of push into real issues, real concerns, fears, how to keep the, the organization engaged, those types of things. And, and we just started to have a conversation at the, at the table. How are, you off, how are you feeling? How's it going with you? What are you learning? We decided to just sh- change the conversation from, um, you know, I've got to be right about this. I've got to be right about that to um, how can we help each other? What do you need from me? What do I need from you? Um, who on your team can be helpful? I don't have experience in this realm. Um, can you help me come up the learning curve? We just broke the, we, we broke the dynamic where we were either in first or third and just started the conversation. Um, we started to need each other is really what yeah. happened. Yeah. The um, one of the things that I find about executive teams is true for other teams, but particularly for the top executive teams, is that so rarely have they really defined a reason to need each other. And if you haven't identified yeah. why we need each other, then you don't make the effort to do the second circle work. Um, you each kind of come together, you discuss something, you go off your own way and do your own thing, and the team suffers the consequences of that. So does the organization. So what I find is interesting is just by acknowledging that none of you knew everything you needed to know in order to do this business and being able to talk about how are you feeling? What are you learning? What do you not know that you need to know? Who, where do you need help? Um, changes the dynamic and suddenly you realize you need each other. How amazing. Yeah, I look, I took the pressure off of myself. And once I realized, holy crap, they are absolutely right. I've been invited to this table because I'm not a, um, a dairy expert. That I've been invited to this table um, to bring my expertise and my perspective from another part of the world, from a different sector. Um, and, you know, once I reminded myself that that was my reason for being there, it just made it a lot easier for me to then just put my hand up and go, hey, can you help me with this? Can you help me at the learning curve on this? Um, to hear something that I, I don't know, can I, you know, pass that over to you? Or it was just, it makes it easier. Um, it changes the dynamic. I make the case that you really can't be a high-performing team unless the team learns to reside in that comfortable space of authenticity. Let's just be real with each other. Let's be genuine. Here are some things we do know, things that we don't know, gaps that we have to close, but let's be real at this table. It tends to then take that pressure off of either having to be in first or third. I find too many, one team in particular that I've been working with recently, executive team, top team, um, has, they're just feeling such intense pressure on time and therefore they don't allow themselves to be real, to be in the second circle because they feel like they don't have time. And it's, that's right. It it isn't helping. (laughs) It's not helping the agenda. It's not helping the organization. It's not helping them. But there are many causes that get there. Um, Carol, for just the last couple of minutes before we close, I want to talk about one last component of this whole thing, the imposter syndrome, which is when you get yourself in that sense of catastrophic thinking, where you know, you know, so you started this when as you're going to the Fonterra executive team and you're saying you had 
oh my gosh, what have I done? Why am I doing this? I know nothing about this. I've never been on a farm. I don't know anything about the dairy industry. You know, and you can turn yourself into an absolute tizzy that this is going to come go pear-shaped really, really quickly. So is it a common experience that people get themselves into this catastrophic thinking, you know, the, the end of the world and doom and gloom is going to come? It is. It is fairly common. In, in the clinical realm, we call it rumination or obsessing. And that is um, if you're prone to feel anxious about something and if you don't get into your own thinking to short circuit it quickly enough, it will just begin to grow and grow and grow. And you can almost see a person when they are inward, they're focused in their own head and they, you know, they wear that look of sort of anxiety um, where they aren't able to sort of bring, every now and then if you know someone who is in stretch or who's just been named the leader of the team, you just got to short circuit it for them. You got to get in there and go, hey, um, aren't you giving, they're giving this too much oxygen? Are you being reasonable? What's the worst thing that could happen? Um, you get good at asking yourself those types of questions, which will, again, short circuit that obsession, that ruminating, that catastrophizing that people sometimes experience with imposter syndrome. Absolutely. All right. It's fabulous. All right. So, Harold, any last bits of advice that you'd like to offer for people who are struggling with this imposter syndrome? Look, I just I, I make the case that it's much easier to be one person than it is to be two or even three people. I put a significant pressure on myself for you know a good deal of my adult life to try to be this perfect person, and it was an unhealthy place to be in. Um, the moment I you know joined the human race and allowed myself to be wonderfully imperfect and fallible as all human beings are, then connection was immediately born. Um, Um, And so it resonates with me, this whole realm of authenticity and being an authentic leader. It resonates with me viscerally because I lived in a very unhealthy space um, for such a long time. Um, And that I would just encourage people to um, just be yourself. Um, the, The... the essence of authenticity is that you are giving people something to connect with that the need to, again, be needed, the need to belong, the need to want to be helpful. It's just much easier if you let people help you be successful as opposed to trying to be this perfect person. I love that. To let people help you be successful. What a great way to say it. Um, Sometimes I find that when people talk about the authenticity, they often use the phrase that I only do something that I know how to do and I'm comfortable with and it's natural for me. But you're using authenticity in a very different way. You're using it as the sense of I need to be the person that I am, the imperfect being that I am, in effect. I love that phrase. That's right. That's right. Sometimes when you are the only one at the table, imposter syndrome, when initially the the initial articles were focused more on women who were, um, you know, breaking through the glass ceiling and now seated at a table with seven or eight guys. And and this woman may be the first woman to ever join the team. And the idea that she would begin to 
sort of minimize the essence of her own self and try to mimic the behaviors around the table. So she's moving away from who she might normally be, which, you know, the, in, in terms of higher IQ, I mean, EQ, uh, and a, you know, just a stronger sense of connection. I did that when I, you know, as I was joining leadership t- tables in my career with Amico, where I was the only African American at the table. And so the inclination to, you know, try to mirror what you're seeing at the table. And um, heck, in, in, uh, I had a senior mentor at Amico advise me to not use as much slang or come across as ethnic um, as I was to sort of mirror what was going on at the table amongst my white colleagues. Well, you know, that's, a, that's pulling me away from who I am. And ultimately, once you detach from who you are, it's just an unhealthy place to be. So uh, it's, it's the, the ability to back yourself, to bring who you are to that table and to be one person as opposed to trying to be, you know, all things to all people. I love that. Be one person versus all things to all people. Fabulous. Harold, we're out of time. So my guest today, Harold Hillman. Um, The book, if you're interested, is The Imposter Syndrome. Harold, thanks for being our guest. Thank you, Wanda. I enjoyed very much. That's great fun. I think the essence of all of this one is the the thing that I take away from the conversation that I like so much is this notion of not going to first circle or to third circle, where I both either reduce myself in first circle or expand myself in third circle and to try to stay somewhere in the middle where I allow myself to be imperfect, to not know and allow other people to help me. It's fabulous. Thanks, Harold. And join us next week for yet another episode in how to get out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.